Hey there, we're the Westlot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. You're on our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowsbo. Well guys, before we dive into this week's episode, we've got a lot to talk about. I do want to wish you guys a very happy anniversary. Um, woo woo! Eight years ago, uh, this week, we started this silly little pod. And uh, been going strong ever since. I think we're in the 370s of episodes. Um, you know, all the other previews we've been doing that haven't counted in those episodes, just by whatever arbitrary counting mechanism I've decided to use as we put this thing together. But eight years, boys, this has been a lot of fun, and I can't wait to keep it up for another eight or more. What a time to be a Northwestern fan. Yeah, right. What a run. Um, and again, it's like... Just think when we first started, Pat Fitzgerald was like a, you know, freshly minted head coach. We just barely hired Mick McCall and Mike Hankowitz. And uh, yeah, what a journey. Uh, speaking of journeys, um, tomorrow, as we record this on a Tuesday night, tomorrow early morning is the beginning of signing day or the early signing period. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Northwestern recruits who we expect to sign tomorrow. Um, it's a class of 18 coming in. Obviously, not everyone is necessarily going to sign uh, tomorrow, although I believe most of them probably will. Uh, we're not expecting too many big surprises here. Um, you know, we're not on the fence waiting for like the five, five star to announce his you know commitment on halftime of the 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 you know Elk Grove Village Bahamas Bowl or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, so it should be pretty straightforward, but, uh, obviously if, if anything does happen, we'll talk about it, uh, next week when we get the official, uh, listings of, of the guys coming in. But, uh, just at first glance, you know, um, the, the one thing you don't see on here is a quarterback, but that's because we have a five-star quarterback as part of this recruiting class. He just happened to be on campus all season as, as a red shirt and he'll be, uh, Taking the reins, you know, presumably starting next year with Hunter Johnson. Yeah, and I think it's it's it was a luxury not to have to worry about that, um, and I think you know allowed the team to, to focus on other areas. And yeah, there's a lot to get into. This is maybe one of our, if if not the most headlines at the top of the class, the most one of the deepest top to bottom that we've had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you you kind of just just looking at the star rankings, looking at the, at the ratings, everyone is a solid three star, at least according to rivals. Um, you know, you don't, you don't see any fours, but you don't see any twos. So just, you know, top to bottom, a very, very solid class. Yeah. No real project players in this class. I mean, I think, um, as, as a little bit of a, of a tease to something that's coming down the road, probably if not next week, the week after I'm working on a really big recruiting piece right now. That's going to go up on the website. I think a lot of you will really have a lot of fun with it. Um, kind of comparing the different position groups to each other in terms of player recruiting and player development over, um, a period close to 10 years. Um, and one of the things that you see, and, and again, this, any casual fan knows this is Northwestern's you know, lore is filled with guys who were not big recruits. Sometimes were even walk-ons and were really minted into something special. This class doesn't have the ability to have any of that because just about everyone's a big recruit, which there's, you know, that there's, uh, that's certainly a positive. 
you know, I, I know one thing we, we don't really see is, um, necessarily, uh, at least as, as far as rivals is concerned, you don't really see a running back on here. There might be some guys who will, who will uh, move into the running back position, but, uh, just kind of off the, you know, top look, you don't see any running backs. We do have three wide receivers coming in, uh, Bryce Kurtz, uh, kind of a short speedster, and then, uh, two kind of bigger position, possession guys in Wayne Dennis and uh, Jensen Hooper. Um, the plus you got Thomas Gordon at, at Superback. So, um, kind of four pass catchers coming in, uh, for, for this upcoming class. Yeah. None of, and none of those guys really translate to the running back position. I think that, uh, that spot is, it's interesting because we thought it was really well stocked coming into this year. And then like a lot of terrible things happen, but you know, bringing back Bowser, um, You've still got some solid depth guys uh, in there. Moten coming back to the team as well, presumably. So, I don't know. It doesn't concern me a ton. Uh, word from, from Louis Vacare, uh, he's got an article out on Rivals about a, uh, a running back from Mississippi named Micah Kelly, who is really holding out hope for a Northwestern offer. So, you know, that's that's interesting. Uh, there, there are some ways that could play out. Um, if one of these guys on our list didn't come through, uh, for Northwestern or, or switched at the last moment, you know, we might have a, have a offer for Kelly. Um, there can be some other mechanisms by way that he could still end up at Northwestern, but it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting that we don't seem to have any slots right now on the running back spot. Well, as far as the running backs and speaking of Louis Vacare, um, Louis Vacare has got, you know, has, has put a couple other pieces up in front of and behind the paywall over the past uh, couple of weeks. We have, I think, some other outstanding offers to a couple of running backs um, that may or may not come to fruition, um, but there's there's definitely a chance. One of those players who we are in the thick of, and I think is a guy who's kind of holding out, hasn't made his decision yet, is a guy named Aeneas Smith. And were he to sign, he would immediately become one of my favorite Northwestern players to ever sign. <laughs> So it's like, I don't want to jinx it. He is, I would say, a properly rated Venrick Mark would be the way to describe this guy. We would have to beat Georgia and Texas A&M for him. <laughs> but he is basically very similar to Venrick in that he is um, a guy even with even more accolades than Venrick had coming out of high school. And Venrick was fairly decorated coming out of high school. But Aeneas Smith... Um, also from Texas, from Sugarland, um, is a, a guy who is really small and really fast and a true running back. And the only reason he doesn't have more offers of the Georgia A&M caliber than the two he has is because I think big schools aren't exactly sure how they would use him. And then you have a bunch of schools, Duke, Vanderbilt, and Northwestern being three that are just lining up being like, we will let you tote the rock however you want. <laughs> and, and we are, and that's, which is, which is kind of the profile Venrick had coming out. But Smith is, I would say, a properly rated Venrick mark. But we're in the running. It is by no means a done deal. But it, that's something that still has to shake out, my guess is. That will shake out relative to Smith and, and other players. We will try to fill a running back spot. Um, and it, it, we could have a potential where, you know, of Northwestern classes of the past. Venrick Mark was one of the very last players we signed that year. So was Kane Coulter. Sometimes big things drop late. So... We will see. With all of that said, relative to the Ryan linebacker core, 
uh, I mean, the relative to the wide receiver core, which we alluded to earlier. I just want to stop for a second. And, mm, 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 mm. Sorry, I just had to stop and eat Notre Dame's lunch for a little while. <laughs> because that is what we have done. Bryce Curson, Jensen Hooper, one is 5'11". One is 6'5". What do they have in common? Notre Dame wanted both of them, and we got them. Uh, and that's my favorite thing about the wideouts. <laughs> uh, we got four offensive linemen, three defensive linemen. Um, you know, it's a nice little spread there. Duke Olgies. We'll figure out how to pronounce that properly. Uh, local kid from Winnetka. Uh, 6'5", 260, defensive tackle. Um, I'm not even going to try. Uh, Adito... Adetomiwa Adebawar, and I apologize. Uh, we will get the official pronunciation on that and start hammering that in. Uh, defensive end out of Kansas City. Uh, and then Jason Gold, uh, defensive end out of League City, Texas. Uh, those are our three defensive linemen. Uh, O-line, Conrad Rowley, Dominic D'Antonio, Connor Foster, and Zachary Franks um, make up the uh, O-line guys. Something interesting to watch on the O-line, you know, with, with Adam Cushing leaving – we talked about it last week that you know there's an, an article article out there with with rivals that all of these guys were firm in their commitments. They're obviously not going to see anything different to that, but they're losing what they thought was going to be their position coach, and some of them certainly had strong relationships with him. Now, you know, you can debate up, down, left, right, and center whether you know how good Cushing was, etc. But the relationships with those players are real, and a couple of them, you know might reevaluate uh, where they want to go. We'll see. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect that. That's just, you know, really outside of the norm for, for Northwestern recruits and Northwestern football, but um, there's a first time for everything. One thing, and again, I don't, I don't want to step on this big piece that I have coming down the pipe, but relative to the offensive lineman, it is very key and very key for whoever ends up taking over as offensive line coach and going forward um, that on a year-by-year -year basis, we develop more than one of the offensive linemen in a class, and there are going to be about four in any given class, into special offensive linemen. Um, and right now, if you look at the class overall, one guy is on paper is different from the other three. Zach Franks was a big flip. We flipped him from Penn State. He's a big recruit with a big pedigree coming in. And then um, the other three guys are kind of... Guys who were lightly recruited, um, they each of them had maybe a you know a power five offer or two, and then their Northwestern offer. And the key to this class will be finding one of these one of those three guys or more of them and turning them into a special football player. Um, couple linebackers, uh, Michael Jancy and Bryce Gallagher. And it, for those wondering, yes, that is Blake Gallagher's little brother. The, the brothers' tradition continues uh, for for the cats, and it'll, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if we'll get a little uh, dual Gallagher uh, on the in the linebacking core next year. Yeah, we never got two Kros on the field at the same time. I don't believe, um, or if we did, it was it was very briefly. But yeah, I'd 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 we've talked about this a lot that we really like this aspect about the way Northwestern recruits they focus on the family um they uh and and i think you you see you see a lot of the comments coming out of the, the locker room after this big 10 championship season about 
the brotherhood that is Northwestern football and how committed these guys are to each other. And it, I mean, it just makes sense that guys from the same family are looking at this and saying, I want to be a part of that. Um, Hunter Johnson, who we talked about off the top, same deal. So uh, this is, yes, more of this, please. Especially if he's anything like his older brother, who's, who was, who's wearing Fitz's number for God's sake. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny we steal yet another top three player out of the state of Massachusetts. Boston College must be tearing their hair out. <laughs> We're really taking it to the Catholic schools, Notre Dame, Boston College. Um, but, yeah, obviously Gallagher has the pedigree. Michael Jancy is an Under Armour All-American. Um, and, again, to circle back to Louis Vacare, I only know this because uh, Louis tweeted about it several times. Um, there was some sort of fan voting portion based on camps and fan voting and and uh, Michael Jancy is a very popular guy and also a performer. And, uh, you know, he doesn't fit the profile of a, of an Under Armour All-America game participant, but he is going to be a member of that game. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, and then five defensive backs. You got Roderick Hurd, Cam Mitchell, uh, Corian Azema, Malik Washington, and Brandon Joseph. Um, Washington and Joseph, are, we might have hinted at, uh, last week, um, these guys committed this past weekend uh, after the the big kind of winter bring all the all the recruits in for their official visits together. Uh, these two guys were there and uh, decided to, to jump in. Uh, Brandon Joseph had committed to Texas Tech, but after Cliff Kingsbury got the axe, he reopened and decided to come to Northwestern. So a nice little pickup uh, by on Brandon Joseph there. This is, it'll be interesting to see, you know, you hate to put pressure on a position group, but in terms of the amount of guys in this class and the quality of the recruits, this class has a chance to be remembered up there with that Godwin Igwebike, Kyle Caro, Matt Harris class. Um, that is the gold standard for a secondary class, and this group is right up there. You're talking about um, Rod Hurd had a Michigan offer. Brandon Joseph and Malik Washington each had a slew of offers. Corey Nazima's from Texas and picked us over Stanford and Nebraska. Um, and Cam Suck Mitchell, at Nebraska. Of, yeah, and Cam Mitchell is one of the top players in the state of Illinois. It's a stacked group of guys at corner and safety. Five of them, they're all good. It's got a chance to be a really special class. So fire up the fax machines uh, tomorrow morning as we well as as you listen to this, it's already happened. But um, you know we'll we'll keep a very close eye on signing day and, and come back to it um, as as necessary. You know as we go into these guys, I know there's a bunch of other preferred walk-ons. I think there's a, a punter kicker coming in. I think there's a quarterback um, walk-on preferred walk-on. I think from Kansas or Kansas City area. Uh, he, he's going to be coming. So we'll, we'll get a little bit more information uh, tomorrow and, and go into that. Do want to kind of pivot a little bit, um, you know, pun absolutely intended, pivot as we go down to look at the basketball team. Um, you know, kind of hitting the winter break lull. Uh, you know, the Cats had a nice win over Chicago State yesterday. Um outcome never really in doubt but it was a really great chance to kind of look at the depth that we have on the team I think a lot a lot of guys got some run that maybe haven't gotten some run to this point 
But um, you know, only a couple more non-conference games before we start getting into uh, Big Ten play for real. Um, you know, obviously the the Michigan and the Indiana games we had earlier this month, um, so close. Uh, you know, showed that we're right there, especially as good as Michigan has been playing so far this year. You know, we're right there. But you know, from all all things we were looking at, the Big Ten looks pretty stacked, and uh, you know. I, I think now would be a really good time to kind of look at the Big Ten as a whole, look at where, kind of where we are in the Big Ten, and then kind of take a look at some of the games we have leading up to the end of the year before we you know, fire off into conference play for real. Yeah, so I did some digging on this earlier today and uh, just trying to get a, a better understanding of where we fit profile-wise. And you, and you kind of have to turn to the advanced stats in this situation because there's not a lot of head-to-head within the conference. And I'm sorry, but our 0-2 record in conference is not indicative of, you know, where we stand relative to, <laughs> to some teams. So, you know, statistically, NU's profile, there's really nothing surprising here. Um, generally, offensively, we fall pretty close to the middle of the pack in the Big Ten. Uh, pretty close to the average, while defensively we're slightly better than average. Um, a couple of things stood out to me, especially when, when when digging through this. You know, Northwestern relies on the three more than the average Big Ten team. It's not a surprise. It's something we've we've generally seen uh, throughout Collins's tenure and, and certainly during Carmody's uh, life before him. Uh, shooting percentage wise, we're right there. You know, uh, effective shooting percentage, um, true shooting percentage. Uh, we're 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 right in the in the middle of things, and as a, as a result, our offensive rating. You know, the, the cats come to, come in at like ninth in the conference on offensive rating, but um, but they they look right there right there in the middle, pretty pretty tight with the Wolverines, Buckeyes, Hawkeyes, and ba- uh, and Badgers. So, uh, what stands out about this team in particular uh, is their offensive rebounding percentage. And their free throw rate, so we get to the free throw line at, at, at a at a better than average rate compared to our our uh, opponents. And that offensive rebounding, which you know we talked about it a couple weeks ago with with Derek Pardon and how how good he's been on the offensive glass, that's showing up in the in the total team stats as well. On the defensive side, a uh, couple of interesting things. Biggest one is is tor- turnovers forced. We're second in the Big Ten in turnovers forced. Um, pretty close to us are a couple other teams, but uh, the Cats are doing really well, really well on, in this space. However, they're also fouling a ton. <laughs> um, we're in the we're all we're in like the top three or, or bottom three, I should say, in terms of uh, uh, free throws per field goal attempts uh, allowed. So that we're we're fouling a ton. Again, this is something that we've seen a lot. Law and Pardon both tend to be foul prone in part because of how big of, of defensive uh, present, you know, the, the defensive presence that they have. I mean, law is generally guarding the top dog on the other team. So um, these are things that uh, the cats really need to be, you know, that we're, we're going to see be a big deal throughout the, throughout the season. But um, the nice thing is that, you know, we're ninth in, in, in offensive rating on the defensive side. We're probably more like sixth, like, the, the cats have got a shot here of finishing like middle of the pack. And, and certainly, you know, if the big 10 is, is a conference that gets, you know, more than 50% of their teams into the, into the dance, the cats should be right there. Yeah. I think it's 
defense is is going to be the key, right? I mean, this is a, a long, strong defensive team. We've talked about, you know, the fact that it's from a minutes perspective, it's a relatively thin team. Um, Pete Nance, I you know, has seen his minutes go up recently. That's helpful if you can get him into the rotation. Um, although I think one of the issues is that really, you know, we only have two true guards who are playing heavy minutes and, you know, it's it's funny because everything you're saying, Scuzz, right? I mean, we are a team that plays long and plays big and plays in-your-face defense, right? Um, Vic Law being the banner carrier of that, of course. Um, but you got a guy like A.J. Turner who's come in and adapted to the same style. And, of course, we've got Pardon on the floor all the time, too. So, you know, we're playing aggressive, we're playing long, and we're trying to, to cut guys down. Oklahoma coming up is going to be a really interesting test of this because one thing that we effectively try to do is play the maximum amount of time possible with only two true guards on the floor, Anthony Gaines and Ryan Taylor. Um, Vic Law's ability to guard multiple positions helps there, but Oklahoma is really going to test that because as you know, we were talking before the pods, cause you pointed out three of their top four scorers are guards and two of them are six, three or smaller. So you're talking about, this is a team that wants to get to the hoop, shoot on the, shoot off the dribble, et cetera. And I think Christian James is Oklahoma's top guy. He's technically a guard. He's six, four. Don't be surprised if Vic law ends up guarding him. Um, and we're going to be forced into a lot of matchups because Oklahoma's probably going to have three true guards on the floor. So is it a situation where we're just able to smother them because of the size and length we have out there? Or is it a situation where we're giving up too much speed and they're able to run around us? And then, you know, you ask the question too, like, are you going to make Ryan Taylor and AJ Turner, uh, or Ryan Taylor and Anthony Gaines run around with, you know, too fast, you know, guards who want to score the whole game without taking those guys off the floor. If you put a guy like Ryan Greer onto the floor just because you need another guard out there, is he going to be overmatched in this kind of situation? These are all these kind of fascinating questions. We're playing a team that's guard light and personnel light, but there's a lot of talent and defensive ability on the floor to the point of everything Scuzz was saying from a statistical perspective. Now you've got a team um, that is eight and one. That has, you know, I would say no phenomenal wins, but certainly a couple very good wins and gets all their production offensively from guards. And how are we going to answer that? Yeah, I mean, you would think that and I don't have a good sense of how often the cats have gone zone this year versus versus man for a lot of reasons. I've only I've only watched uh, pieces of a couple of games, but you would think it would make sense to force. Uh, Oklahoma to the outside and see if they can shoot over us uh, over our length that seems to make a lot of sense to me um, their big men are you know 6'10 220 guys they're nothing that parting can't handle Uh, neither one of them are are averaging double digits in scoring like you said John the offense goes through their guards this feels like uh, the type of matchup that you know you you want to hide a guy like Gaines and a guy like Taylor just because they're going to be uh, pressed into so much duty throughout the game you don't want them running around like crazy in a man defense now that that's that's kind of my sense of it from a from a 30,000 foot view um, it could be very very different on the ground and we might all of a sudden see if if uh, some of these other guys on Oklahoma assuming that that law can take 
James out of out of the game a little bit. That some of these other guys just start bombing threes. I mean, we saw what Trey Young did to Northwestern a couple of years ago. You know, th- this team could obviously uh, score from their backcourt, and and as good as we play on defense, you know, we're not going to shut them down entirely. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. They they turn the ball over at a at a lower rate than um, than we've been forcing. They um, foul much less. So th- they've got a couple things going for them as well on on their side of the ball that. Uh, could give us uh, could give us some tr- some trouble. This is a this is a pretty well coached, fundamentally sound team, and it is crazy to me that that Lon Kruger, their coach, was the Illinois head coach when we were in college. That um, that's astounding on a whole bunch of different levels. But uh, but yes, yeah, this is a good squad, and, and frankly, it's a great opportunity for the Cats to notch a, a really big win. It'll also be interesting to see what kind of uh, crowd we get at the Welsh Shrine Arena. I mean, the, the students are away on winter break so you know you don't have the student section and just kind of watching a little bit of the chicago state game um it it was it was pretty obvious that the students were not there i mean they they've been doing a really good job of of bringing the energy and bringing it hard although you know it's hard to really get up for the chicago state game when that game was just not close at any point um but you know I'm, i'm looking forward to seeing kind of what the what the vibe of the place is like uh, when Oklahoma comes calling. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be an interesting test. And, and again, like you said, with the students that with the students not there, it's potentially a very different environment. You would hope that a bunch of the local students um, would come, but it's, you know, it's an opportunity to the fans. Hey, the seats will be there. Get out. See if you can fill up the group. This is a chance for, you know, the non-con win that we sorely need um, before we head into the, the big 10 meat grinder. Uh, so yeah, we got Oklahoma coming up on Friday, and then um, then the next week we got Columbia before we get into the start of Big Ten play, January second at Michigan State. Then we're home for Illinois and Iowa, and we'll, then at Michigan. We'll get into the rest of that schedule in weeks to come. On to the bowls. Uh, we previewed the first week of bowl games. I, I think you know before we dive into our, our previews. You know, for the next week of bowls, um, early thoughts, early takeaways from uh, the, this first weekend of, of bowls. Scuzz models <laughs> kicking my butt. <laughs> <laughs> don't mess with the machines. The machines are going to come for all of us. I don't know. I, I, I'm sitting in first place in the group, so I, you know, take that how you will. I would, you know, Utah State was, they were very impressive. Um, I think we all expected a little bit more out of North Texas, but um, Utah State notched a heck of a win. And and Fresno State, boy, I mean, that's, they couldn't have had much better season than they had. They are back in a big way. Conference champion, I think, what, 11 wins? And, 12 now. Uh, and a bowl win. Yeah, 12 wins and a bowl. Uh, that's a big year for them. You know, big, big props to UAB uh, taking care of business against Northern Illinois tonight. Um, you know, we, we talked about UAB last week, and you're just what, what a great story that is. And um, you know, seeing them come out and just lay the smack down at the Cherubundi uh, Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. Again, still can't say that without just busting out into laughing. Um, come on, man. It's not the Poolian Weed Eaters Bowl. I miss the Poolian <laughs> Weed Eater Independence Bowl. That That... That was the bomb. Although, you know, the the, the Elk Grove Village <laughs> bomb. Yeah, the makers, I know. Makers wanted. 
Oh, I'll that... be honest. I I didn't know that we were gonna keep doing this after the after the Makers Wanted Bowl was over. I figured that we were just gonna go that far. You can't really top Elk Grove Village. <laughs> so let's let's jump back into our previews. Um, we went through the uh, the Idaho Potato Bowl um, Saturday, December twenty second. Uh, you've got the Jared Birmingham Bowl. Um, great jewelry store, Birmingham Bowl, uh, Memphis and Wake. Uh, um, Memphis, the three and a half point favorite. The over under, seventy three and a half. Uh, I think they're expecting a few points there at uh, eleven a.m. Central at Legion Field in Birmingham. I mean, it's it's interesting because Wake. My reaction to this game was was to put all of my points on Memphis, and then. I started to read and you know, they lost both their coordinators to go take other jobs. I don't know if they're involved with any of the bowl prep or if they're going to be coaching or if they've already moved on, but uh, I think their OC is going to Auburn and I forget where their DC is going, but those guys are both out. Uh, one of their, one of their really good running backs is sitting out the game to prepare for the NFL. I think they might be missing another player somewhere along the line. So I don't know, like some of those losses are stacking up for Memphis, but it still feels like, like Wake Forest was not a good team this year. I, uh, let's, let's just say Wake Forest was not a good team this year. You are absolutely correct. However, in two of their last three games, they were throttled by Pitt at home, but they also beat North Carolina State on the road. And in their finale on the road against Duke, they did slightly better than we did when we (laughs) To the tune of fifty nine to seven, I don't even know how they possibly pulled that off. Um, that game so far eclipsed any other Wake Forest performance of the year. But I suppose they're they're playing pretty decent football right now. I would also expect them to be overmatched in this game. But if Memphis is a little bit thin, uh, Wake certainly could win this one. Two thirty Central, you've got the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl with the Houston against Army. That's down there in Fort Worth. Army, a four and a half point favorite over under 69 and a half. I've got to think, you know, this is for this to me is it's all army, especially with Ed Oliver not playing for Houston. Um, you know, that that's a huge loss off their defense. And, um, you know, army has been playing really, really good football all year. Uh, especially the way they, they hung with Oklahoma there earlier in the season. To me, this is all, all army, right? 100%. One hundred percent. I would H- say Houston doesn't want to be playing in Fort Worth. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I, if Houston now, <clears throat> Army's not a particularly amazing defensive team. So if Houston decides they want to score points, I mean, Houston is a team that is capable of putting up big points. They did it a lot of times this season. Um, they will most likely have to trade points. I mean, they gave up thirty six points to Navy. Um, who runs a very similar offense to what Army runs. Army basically runs a much better version of it, at least this season. Um, Yeah, I'd love to see it. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, Houston most years nominally would be the better team, but this is certainly Army is the better team, and this is going to be a de facto home game for Army all the way. So, um, well. Well, the other important thing to remember about Houston is uh, Eric King, their quarterback, who was pretty damn good all season, uh, injured before the last week of the season against Memphis and not playing in this bowl game. And that's, I mean, that's a huge piece out of out of their offense, in addition to Ed Oliver on the defensive side. So 
that that stings quite a bit for for Houston's ability to to put up points and and put up points in what will be very very limited possessions against Army. Uh, the question I have is: Will Ed Oliver a be on the sideline and b be allowed to wear a jacket? Uh, I don't. Count. <laughs> I seriously don't don't count on him being on the sideline. For no, this one. This, I this that relationship went sour. He is going to be elsewhere. I would say. Yeah. Six o'clock central um, at Land Pe- Lad People Stadium in Mobile, Alabama. You've got the Dollar General Bowl featuring Buffalo and Troy. Buffalo has been playing real good all year. I mean they. They've looked real solid. Troy's looked really solid too. This is a game that is going to be a lot of fun. I think I'm definitely looking forward to to watching this. I don't see a line on it at this point. Um, sure, there is one. I just I don't don't see it here on the front page of ESPN. But uh, yeah, I mean Tyree Jackson, the quarterback for Buffalo, he's a real deal. He's solid. Yeah, it's funny. Both of these teams lost their conference championships game championship games. In the case of Buffalo, we talked about it last week. That really kind of hijacked the narrative because they've been the class of the MAC pretty much the whole year. Um, yeah, I would give them a little bit of the edge here. They're a good team. I kind of want them to win just because an eleven and three Buffalo team has an outside chance of being ranked at the end of the season, um, and that would mean that. For at least a little while, and I think there were a couple weeks, Buffalo was ranked in football and basketball because they have a really good basketball team right now too. So didn't they didn't they knock off Arizona tonight? Yeah, they're uh, they are. I don't know. I can't imagine it's ever been better for the Buffalo Bulls athletically than it is right now. But they've got a good football team and a good basketball team. So um, I bet you they can take down Troy. Oh no, they took it on Syracuse today. Syracuse, not a. But they took down Arizona previously. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy. Uh, Buffalo is favored in this game by two right now, and I I feel like this game is a matchup between a really really good consistent defense in Troy and a excellent but sometimes um, but an excellent but sometimes inconsistent offense from uh, from Buffalo. The 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 main case being that against Ohio. They fell flat on their. I mean, they they had scored thirty four, twenty four, thirty one, fifty one, and forty eight in the five games leading up to Ohio, and then only scored seventeen against the Bobcats. Tyree Jackson was nine of twenty one for barely over a hundred yards. Like, just a, a terrible game. Two weeks later, they lost to Northern Illinois, a team that doesn't have much of an offense. So it feels like Troy might be able to contain them, but um, Tyree Jackson's worth watching. And this dude, this dude's really good. He's six seven. Yeah, he's so. He's, so you're telling me John Elway is going to draft him way higher than he probably should. <laughs> he's he's six seven. And he can throw the ball seventy yards on a rope. Like, look, yes, John, John Elway is probably going to trade up for him, Sam. I <laughs> Sam, tell you. Sam, Jim Kelly says that not only is Tyree Jackson a great quarterback, he has great character too. <laughs> I, I I can't I can't even I can't even take a shot back. That's a, that's so great. Let's go ahead and move on to the uh, SoFi Hawaii Bowl at 9.30 Central um, at Aloha Stadium. Hawaii versus Louisiana Tech. Um, Hawaii a one-point favorite. Cole McDonald been throwing the ball all over the farm. And I'm sure that joke has never been made before at all. Uh, so, you know, these are, Hawaii is at, you know, Hawaii's you, at home. You know... You know my kids called McDonald old McDonald or they call McDonald's old McDonald every time we drive past it. I see old McDonald. <laughs> this 
uh, these are sorry. (laughs) No, these are two bad football teams. Um, to be, you shut your mouth. These teams belong in that first set of games that we already did. Um, Louisiana Tech. I mean, this team played Mississippi State a couple weeks ago and lost forty-five to three. They beat Southern Miss by one. I mean, they lost to Southern Miss by one. Um, they lost to Western Kentucky to close out the year. There's there's not a lot of meat on their plate. And Hawaii is eight and five. Their last seven games were four skin of their teeth wins, and and no, their last eight games were four skin of their teeth wins. Uh, they they beat San Jose State by three, Wyoming by four, UNLV by seven, and San Diego State by one. Um, and and then it's kind of those wins are the bread of a just destruction sandwich because in the middle of that they played BYU, Nevada, Fresno State, and Utah State, and were obliterated in every one of those games. So they can't. So they can't beat a good team. That's fine. <laughs> but, but but they were five and two at home. And as you stated, Louisiana Tech is not a good team. And I've seen what the home refereeing is like. In- <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it firsthand. There's no way Hawaii's losing this game because Cole McDonald is a legend. And uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna come away with this one. Uh, Wednesday, December 26th at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, um, formerly the Ticket City bless, Bowl. Bless you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Boston College and Boise State. Boise, a two-and-a-half point favorite. Over-under is 56. How do you guys feel about Boise this year? It, yeah, this is a really interesting game. Um, just because I think... Top to bottom, I don't think Boise had to play the level of competition that Boston College did. Um, my hunch tells me... By, by that, do you mean the ACC? Yeah, well, Boston College, you know, down the stretch at least, really went right into the teeth of that. And they yeah, took truth. a couple tough losses. Um, my hunch is these two teams... Like, my hunch is that this is a really even matchup. That these are two teams that, that match up really well and could give you a really good game. Um, I mean, Boston College, I mean, they, I won't say they were really in that Clemson game, but they certainly made it interesting for a little while. And then coming out of that, they have two kind of close losses against, you know, two other strong ACC teams. So, um, and Boise, you know, this isn't the greatest, this is a good Boise team. It's certainly not the greatest Boise team, you know, it's not up in the pantheon with other Smurf turf teams of years gone by. Um, This is a team that, when they played the tougher teams on their schedule, they lost. So in, in that sense, well, I mean, I guess, I guess a little bit, but I, you know, based on what you were just saying about um, Hawaii a minute ago, like in the last five weeks of the season, they, beat, yeah, that's B- true. BYU, Fresno and Utah state. That's that last true. one being really impressive. Right. And then they, the only, they just couldn't get the repeat against Fresno, yeah. which is true. So that's true. I mean, they, they're, you're right. I mean, Boise might have the edge, but I just know at times this season, Boston College played really good football when they had everything clicking, and I kind of feel like talent-wise, they're probably pretty similar. So the, it, the, tw- the twenty-plus point loss at Oklahoma State has not aged well for uh, for Boise State, but it feels like they're peak. I'll say that I, if, to me, it feels like they're peaking at the right time, and then. BC lose. I mean, anybody losing to Florida State this year that seems like an indictment <laughs> of something. Um, but I don't know. This also feels like this is going to be a 
a, a really defensively oriented game. I think I mean, people don't think about Boise that way, but they've been really a strong defensive program for years. And, and that's been BC's uh, moniker as well. So th- this will be inter- interesting from that perspective. Like who can score? So if you're Boise and you know, you, you're at, at the end of that, um, the Fresno state, the championship game, if Boise won that game, they'd have played in Vegas uh, against Arizona state. Is this a better matchup for them or a worse one? I mean, are, are they better off having lost to Fresno? I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's a better destination, <laughs> but I, but I don't know. I think I still think, I think Boston college, I would say is better than Arizona state. So I think you're right. I mean, in that sense, they're, they're getting a better game out of it, especially Arizona state without Nikhil Harry. Right. Right. Let's move on then to the Quick Lane Bowl, uh, 415 Central on ESPN, Ford Field in Detroit, thank, Michigan. Thank God we're not in this game. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Uh, Minnesota, Georgia Tech. So Georgia Tech playing the final game for Paul Johnson, uh, final game of the, their I wishbone know, I, I'm offense. I'm crying. And this, is this the, how long will it, how long will we go again before we see wishbone offense played in a Power Five conference? It may be a while. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he gets to go out in Detroit against a, a gopher squad whose defense has played a lot better since, uh, they fired their defensive coordinator, but still it, it's not a very good team. And, you know, how are they going to be able to respond to the triple option? It's, you know, what's funny. Minnesota's offense, three of their last five games, they put up a ton of points. They scored 41 against Purdue. Now, granted that was in that blizzard. Um, but they put up 38 against Indiana, and, and and of course their whole season pivoted on their final game against the Badgers, uh, where they got that massive win and got themselves into a bowl, got the axe, uh, Paul Bunyan's axe back. So um, I kind of feel like as things currently stand, Minnesota's a little bit better. But I mean, this will be Georgia Tech. I kind of feel like will be up for Paul Johnson's last game. Um, but I don't know. This could be a good matchup. I I. I mean, I think some of that gopher scoring those is is fueled by turnovers, i.e. Alex Hornibrook. Likely still concussed right. Alex Hornibrook through right. three picks in that game. And Georgia Tech just is not going to turn over the ball in that fashion. I, I, I guess I'll say this. like The strength of Minnesota is certainly their run defense. Their line uh, and Brian Cashman were pretty – solid against NU they held Bowser under three yards per carry but that the triple option is a different animal and it just it just feels like this is not a great matchup for them I mean their offense is going to have like seven possessions on which they they might try to score and we've seen what that looks like they don't they just don't do a good job there so I've been I've been pretty strong in the Georgia Tech camp here I mean I guess you know, maybe they might get some guys back from injury. Um, but I also know, I think it's their big right tackle or left tackle. One of them's not playing for Minnesota. He's holding out for the NFL. So um, something to consider. Uh, George Tech, a five and a half point favorite over under a 57 and a half. That feel that almost feels a little high. Um, under. Yeah. That, yes. You know, when, when you're talking about the triple option, I mean, that is a ball control offense. We just talked about Army before. That you're not going to get a ton of scoring in this game. I I would go heavy on the under here. Yeah, Minnesota does not score fast on offense. Like they're not a big play team. Um, 
I, like <clears throat> this feels like a twenty-eight to twenty-one game, right? Yeah. Real opportunity for the Gophers here, though. Um, I mean, this is, I mean, to somehow pull seven wins out of this season for where they were, you know, scant weeks ago, um, which is a real possibility. I mean, they certainly could beat Georgia Tech. Um, it's it's a real chance for them. 8 o'clock Central, ESPN, Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. You've got the Cheez-It Bowl, uh, Cal versus TCU. Cal, a one-point favorite, over-under, 39-and-a-half. So, uh... <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I have no idea what to think about this. I, like... It's it's funny because if you didn't look... If you just heard about this, you'd be like, wow, I don't know how Cal got into this game, but I imagine they're going to be steamrolled. And then you realize TCU was awful this year. They were four and six a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> and they had to squeak by Baylor and Oklahoma State just to get into this game. Um, TCU was throttled by Oklahoma. They were throttled by West Virginia. Um, if anything, their 40 to 28 loss to o- Ohio State looks a lot better now, um, or, you know, a lot better for them and a lot worse for Ohio State. Um, and Cal. You know their season was up and down to say the least, but they bit they did beat Washington and USC. So I kind of feel like Cal is the stronger team here. TCU is interesting because of what's happened at their quarterback uh, spot. So Sean Robinson started the year; he was all right, um, not great. Got injured midway through. He's actually transferring out. It was a season-ending injury. They went to Michael Collins, who was on uh, a. Un- uh, who was really bad. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Last two games of the year, though, Grayson Molstein took over. His stats were pretty decent. Uh, they won both of those games, beating Baylor, and then kind of a surprise win over Oklahoma State to finish the year. So, like, TCU feels like they're training upward a little bit. California, I, I don't know what to think of Cal. They had such a crazy year. Um, they, beat, they, they won at BYU, which just seemed impossible uh, after what uh, – like knowing that Squally Canada and, and it was, it was absurd that, that they beat BYU in that game. They lost to UCLA. They lost on the road to Arizona. They got destroyed by Oregon and then came back, you know, knocking off, uh, winning at USC, almost beating Washington state on the road. They just such a weird ass team. And I, I still don't know what to think in this game. I guess maybe TCU just because of how they've been trending, but I would think Cal would be more excited to be in this game, so who knows. I'm moving on. Thursday, December 27th, uh, the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl, Temple and Duke. Temple a four-point favorite uh, over under at 55. Did you guys see the Temple coach thing? I did. That that was that was pretty awesome. Just um, what, Go ahead and tell the story. Temp, I, all I know is that Temple's interim coach is like batshit excited to be in this bowl um, and to be go, and to be going to Shreveport, Louisiana, and he's probably more excited than any other individual involved with either program. This is the interim coach I should mention, and that makes that just gives me all the confidence in Temple. Yeah, it doesn't help that. Yeah, Duke's no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Duke doesn't want to be here, right? Well, it doesn't help that Duke's offense has just gone into a cave 
they scored six points against Clemson and seven points against Wake Forest to end the season, both in blowout losses. Um, yeah, yeah, Duke hasn't wanted to play for well over a month. And as the second half of our game against Duke shows, we've seen that their offense can just go into a cave, especially when Daniel Jones is banged up. Um, and yeah, I think there's the real potential here that if Temple is that fired up as they certainly appear to be, they could get a win here. 415 Central on ESPN, Yankee Stadium, uh, the New Era Pinstripe Bowl featuring two teams who really don't want to be here, Wisconsin is, and Miami. It's it's perfect that this is in Yankee Stadium because like 5-3 to three may be the final score of this game. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, the, these are two offensively challenged teams with good defenses. Why doesn't Wisconsin want to be here? I mean, I know that they, they had just, different They played so bad down the stretch. I mean, the second half of their season was just so rough. I mean, I, 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 I guess you know they, they want to be they want to be bowling, but this isn't where they want to be. They they wanted to be in the Big Ten championship, and they, you know, in their mind, they should have been in the Big Ten championship. They just didn't play it down the stretch. Um, allow me to allow me to demonstrate my bias by saying the following. Please do. Unlike unlike Duke, they're going to New York. It's not like they're going to Shreveport. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I guess. For me, they lost the Big Ten championship. What when when we beat them basically? So five weeks ago, it's not like it was the last game of the season or anything. The last um, game of the season, though, though, they lost the axe for the first time in like they, fifteen years. They they did they did lose the axe. Um, and I guess I guess so. I'll, I'll put the, to me like it all it all hinges on Jonathan Taylor, and that's the whole year hinged on Jonathan Taylor, and it seemed like. He he put up pretty good stats throughout the year. I mean, he he against Minnesota, he ran, carried the ball twenty times for one hundred and twenty yards. Like that's pretty good. But when your QB is just handing the ball over left, right, and center, and they had that was a problem for Hornybrook. And then when he was injured, it was a problem for uh, for the guy the the backup Jack, Jack Cone. Thank you, Jack Cone. I'll just say this: like if Hornybrook plays in this game, I just pray that he is actually healthy and has recovered completely from what was ailing him. Um, I mean, for those who, who don't remember, he was suffering from concussion-like sy- symptoms um, leading up to, no- the, to the Northwestern game. He did not play against Northwestern, but then he did play the following week against Rutgers, left that game. Um, I, I don't I don't know. It just feels like that was a major issue. <laughs> um, but, if I mean, Miami's got a good D, but... Taylor and this O line should be able to run over them regardless. Ugh. And if they just get some decent play at QB, I mean, Miami doesn't want to be playing in in this weather in this game. Like Miami always goes to cold weather bowls and sucks up the joint. I I mean, gosh, I don't. There's. Do, do you remember Miami in the Sun Bowl? Like oh three or four yeah, years yeah, against against Notre Dame. Like but Notre here's... Dame was not good, and Miami just they were. They were miserable from the word go because it was like 35 degrees. I, I mean, that all may be true, but any chance Wisconsin has of winning this game is going to be based on them shutting Miami's offense down and winning a low-scoring game. There is zero evidence over the last two years that Wisconsin will score any points against Miami. Miami's given up – they gave up 33 points to LSU – in the first game of the season. Since then, the most they've given up in a game is 27 
And most games, they give up far less. There's a reason Manny Diaz was just hired away to go coach Temple uh, because of the strength of Miami's defense. Miami's had an up-and-down year. Their defense has been great, great for two years in a row. And anytime the Badgers faced a good defense this year, their offense just cratered. So, I mean, again, Miami's almost the exact same thing. They have this really just messed up offense, um, screwing up a good defense. But, um, again, I, you're right. This could just be cold weather and, and maybe that's the difference. Maybe it's just the Badgers are more used to cold weather, but this could be a, a cold, ugly game with just cold, ugly football. And yet Georgia Tech ran for 230 yards and two TDs on Miami and won 27-21. And yet yeah, Miami's hey, a three and a half point favorite. I think I would take Miami, but I I think I'm just biased by knowing what Wisconsin's offense has looked like this year. Um, so I don't know. All right, 8 p.m. Central, ESPN at NRG Stadium. You got the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl, Baylor and Vanderbilt. Now this is interesting. I, like, I, I looked at this matchup, and I think back to when we were at, in this very same bowl against uh, Texas A and M uh, several years back. It's like. This is a home game for Baylor. You know, it's not a very long trek from Waco to Houston. You know, Vandy's coming in from Nashville. Do does does Baylor have fans that feel comfortable walking around wearing wearing school colors? That that is a good point. That is a that's good kind point. of surprising. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe they should uh, put those put those away. Um, this is just so gross to me. You hey, you laugh, but Baylor earned their right to be here. They beat Alcorn State. <laughs> <laughs> University of Texas, San Antonio, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, uh, Oklahoma State is the gleaming jewel in in the crown of their six wins. <laughs> oh, thanks, John. I needed that. That makes me feel better about this game. God. I, um, I mean, is Vanderbilt much better though? I mean, I guess they they came close against ND. They, three of their last four, they're playing the better football, I would say. Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, I mean. Yeah, I know. Not exactly an ad for the SEC, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I hope I hope Vanderbilt just smokes the <clears throat> out of these out of these Baylor Bears. Um, I don't know. I don't have much good to go on here except for hate. Uh, but uh, hate, hate is as good of a reason as anything. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Friday, December 28th, 12.30 Central at uh, Nissan Stadium. You got the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl, Purdue and Auburn. Um, you know, I Auburn's a four-point favorite, but I have no idea why anyone would ever think about not taking Purdue here. Uh, Jeff Brom sticking around. You've got, you know, they got to this bowl game. Auburn wants no business. You know, they don't want to be here. And, you know, Purdue's going to, like, it's going to be the Rondell Moore show, and that'll be fun to watch. I, I really hope so. I really hope so. It's a this is a really big opportunity for Purdue to just have a giant exclamation point at the beginning of the season. They already won. I mean, they're already playing with house money when Jeff Brom decided to come back. So they're that's already just and they beat their rival on the road to end the year to make a bowl. It's all gravy for them. They should be big underdogs in this game, but it's against an Auburn team that really kind of comes and goes. Auburn, I'll say this, the last time they played a game that was any kind of test for them one way or the other, 
was Texas A&M, and they picked up a big win against a ranked Texas A&M team. If the t- if this uh, if that Auburn team shows up in this game, I think they beat Purdue just because I think they have more talent. Um, since then, Auburn played Liberty, who they beat like fifty three to nothing, and Georgia and Alabama, and they were never in either of those games. But um, can, I, can we can we just pause and thank Auburn for putting the smackdown on that travesty of a of a football program? Sure, Liberty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How come yeah. they're not? How come they're not playing Baylor right now? It's. You know, <laughs> play liberty you should play baylor you know right after that and auburn beat Ole miss too so fold that into it too so way to go auburn is jared's did i jared's did him sitting this one out right for get ready for the draft oh gosh i hadn't heard that i that's huge i, I feel that's like true. i feel like i heard that i'm not i i'm not 100 percent on it but i i feel like stidham's not playing this game in which case you know all Purdue all the he's time. He's going to enter the draft after the game, but he has. He oh, he's going to. He's going to play. He's, okay. He's not said he's skipping yet. Um, well, I, I think at this point, if you're going to skip, you should have said. You should have said something. Let let the rest of your team get a chance. I mean, it's ten days I away mean, from that game. Give the rest of your yeah, team bowl, a chance to prepare. Bowl practices have started, so. Um, but yeah, I, I this really feels like uh, like a Rondell Moore show and like a Purdue team that has like David Blau is about to go out. Um, they it's, they they get this matchup against a marquee opponent. In it's a huge game for Purdue. And yeah, it's not a big game for Auburn. Gargantuan. Why couldn't what Sammy? What do you think? Would you prefer to this game to be at one thirty in the afternoon or at the what did we have like a seven p.m. kickoff last year? Oh yeah, I mean. That that night they're, game was really cool, but it was also really cold. They're bumped, so- yeah. They're bumped this year because there are a couple heavyweight matchups later in the day. But yeah, there's something about the the post bowl game revelry that I really enjoy. And I and I remember coming out of that uh, that game last year, and it was already I swear it was already like 11 p.m. by the time we got to it, the bar. It was late. And maybe I'm just showing my age here, but I didn't, you know, none of us lasted very long. Um, of course, I had to get back to, to my family out in the out in the burbs. But I just, there's something about like a one, like an afternoon bowl game like this that, um, I don't know, I just kind of like it a little bit more. Just throwing that out there. 415 Central uh, at Camping World Stadium. You got the Camping World Bowl uh, down there in Orlando, West Virginia without uh, Will Greer. Versus Syracuse, uh, West Virginia is still a one and a half point favorite, uh, even without Will Greer. I don't quite get that. That's um, some serious disrespect to Syracuse. I one hundred percent agree. I think Syracuse is going to win this game, and I think they're going to look good doing it. And I think you're going to see uh, Dino Babers making a hell of a speech afterwards. Jack Allison is uh, the backup for Will Greer. He has thrown 10 passes in his college career. He is a sophomore. He has played against Youngstown State, Kansas State, Baylor, and TCU. Yeah. This is not going to go well. No. And Syracuse has proven that they will, if you show signs of weakness, they don't care about your pedigree. They will jump all over you. Ask Florida State how that goes. Uh, 
Syracuse massacred Florida State earlier in this season. And they, ask, ask Clemson how that goes. They almost knocked them off. Right. They almost beat Clemson. They, I mean, they rolled BC on the road and they'll put up points. I mean, they'd be on an insane hot streak right now were it not for, you know, them taking a, a fat L in Yankee Stadium against Notre Dame. And that game, I think, says a lot more about Notre Dame than it does about Syracuse. So, um, I just think Syracuse, with with no Will Greer, I think Syracuse is just flat better than West Virginia by a good margin. At 8 o'clock Central at the Alamo Dome, uh, you got the Valero Alamo Bowl, Iowa State and Washington State. Um, I love, this is how, this is the kind of matchup bowl game should always aspire to put together. <laughs> it's just like an awesome defense versus an awesome offense, and you just see what comes out. Yeah, Wazoo, a three-and-a-half-point favorite, over-under, 55-and-a-half. Um, this, this is going to be a fun one. I, I'm looking forward to this. I love Washington State here. It's I, I'll say this, though. Iowa State, uh, they lost at Texas a couple of weeks ago. That's their only loss in their last eight games. And but who did they play? Yeah, no, true. Uh, and and we must I mean, they did beat too. West Virginia. Yeah. We talked about this, though. Their last game, they almost suffered the biggest upset in college football history. (laughs) (laughs) They beat a team that doesn't offer scholarships by three points. So they may be a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit shaky. But you're right. But they have racked up a lot of wins, and they can play really good defense. But you're right. I Washington State... You feel so bad for them because weather kind of just crushed their dreams. Like, yeah, totally. We have no way of knowing how they would have done against Washington in just even remotely normal weather. And the week before that, I watched that Arizona game. And if that Washington State team shows up, Iowa State's going to get smoked um, because that Washington State team was just absolutely ferocious. They, I mean, they gave up a ton of rushing yards to Washington. That's like the that's like the scary thing here because with David Montgomery, Iowa State can can do some stuff on the ground. They were inconsistent this year on offense, but that that game against Washington just seems like such an outlier to me because of the stakes and the opponent in particular, and then the weather. And when things started to go off the rails in that game. Like you could, t- like every fan, every player, every person who's ever been involved with Washington State was grabbing their hair and screaming, "Not again!" Here's um, here's here's one other question I have because I'm just interested in these kind of things. Late in this game, will we see Jarrell Brock? He is redshirting this season, right? Uh, but under the redshirt rules, right? It's totally within the bounds if you've got a guy like that and you just want to just give him a test drive, right? Can't they do that? Isn't that – aren't they allowed to do that? Like if Iowa State just decides, hey, let's just play Jarrell Brock in this game, it still won't count against his redshirt year. Is that correct? When, when did he en- did he enroll? Yeah, I don't think he's on the roster until next year. Is he not? Oh, I might be getting ahead of myself. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, I think, You're right. Yeah, I, think, I think you are. He, in, in general, though, is the – is – is that possible? I mean, we haven't talked about that too much, but I mean, if you've got a guy who's redshirted the whole year, a bowl, yeah, you, know, you oh, can for give sure. him a test drive. As, as long as he hasn't played in um, in three in four games already, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think I think you'll see, try that. I, I would I would imagine quite a few. 
I know I'm sure yeah. Fitz has been, you know, playing with his uh playing with the red shirts there to try and get as many an opportunity to play who who've earned it. You know, you know, I I hope he's going in with a, a completely full roster uh to the holiday ball. We'll we'll talk about the cats and the Utes uh next week, but uh yeah, no, I I, I think yeah, yeah. Greg, Greg Newsom can play. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's definitely an opportunity for, uh, for red shirts to, to get a little playing time. I, I think that that's huge, especially with more and more, uh, guys sitting out to get ready for the NFL, which, you know, I, again, it, it blows my mind how big of a deal this, like how monumental of a deal it was two years ago. It was still a massive deal last year. And this year, for the most part, it's like, yeah, you, you take care of you. And, you know, at, at most people are coming around to, the line of thinking, with the big exception, I mean, I, I'm sure Will Greer has not uh, made a ton of friends in Morgantown uh, when he decided to, to sit out that game. But uh, well, don't who cares? If, if, yeah. if you're just you know? if well, you're just the, going, the West Virginia fans care. Well, if you're just going off of burning couches, though, that's no way to read the situation. Those couches most likely would be burning regardless. There's no way. <laughs> You know, you can't get a read off the couches, Sammy. It's funny we we well, talked about you, this a you, little you bit. You can based on how much lighter fluid is being added to the couches. True, I mean, if it's going up in a towering inferno. You know, they've angrily doused and like dumped the entire can of lighter fluid on the couch. If it's sure. slow, I don't know. They, they might just be pyros, man. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. I, I, moonshine goes up quick, man. Like, that's you don't true. Really that's know. true. Um, we will say we haven't directly talked about this, but just for for those of you you know who've been staying with us. Um, looking for some NU content. We haven't really talked about this, but there is literally no player in college football with more right to skip a bowl game than Clayton Thorson this year. Um, there's no indication he's going to do that. No, um, I, I think he well, came out today and said he was thinking about it, but couldn't see himself not playing. So he's going to play. Right. And I mean, like, so all credit to him. I would heap kudos on him, whichever decision he made. There is, I mean, there's no one that, as since he's one of the most high-profile guys to get hurt in a bowl game since we started having these discussions, um, he fits the profile of a guy where if he was like, you know what, I don't think I want to take a chance of getting hurt two years in a row in a bowl game, and we'd all be like, yeah, go with God. Get, go get ready for the draft. Um, but... Um, I mean, power to him for staying, but it's it's just one of those funny things to stop and think about and be like, well, as long as we're having this discussion, our guy's got a better argument for it than anybody does. Let's move on to uh, Saturday, December 29th. Uh, huge day. I mean, that's a beautiful Saturday for football. Uh, starting off at 11 o'clock Central on ESPN at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you got the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Florida and Michigan. Uh, Michigan a seven and a half point favorite over under fifty one. To me, Florida, sure they're nine and three. They're not the tenth best team in the country. I'm sorry, Michigan is going to house them. Do you really think Michigan's the seventh best team in the country? Maybe. I I think Michigan's. I mean, Florida has yeah. Whatever you think about Michigan, I think they're going to throttle Florida. I think Florida is not remotely as good as their ranking. And Michigan, hey. Jim Harbaugh's thinking now, hey, Urban finally got out of the way, so maybe this is finally his time, I guess. Um, but, I mean, this is a team that was one win from the CFP and decided to get smoked by their rival. Um, 
I think that they are way in a different class than Florida. I, ooh, I'm I'm gonna take the other tack. I interesting. I, I think Michigan was gutted to lose the the game to Ohio State. I this is a this is a consolation game that. I mean, they they played Florida to start the year, I think, last year, and then they were in this they were in a bowl matchup with them. They've been in this in a bowl matchup with them a couple times over the, over the past however many seasons. Maybe not during the Harbaugh era, but I just don't think this has any pop for them. Uh, Rashawn Gary is sitting this game out. Uh, Chase Winovich is is going to the NFL. I can't imagine that he is going to play with the with the same kind of reckless abandon that he did all year. Shea Patterson never seemed to be, you know, wholly comfortable leading this team. I just, I just wonder. And Florida, on the other hand, had a pretty successful year with a new coach and is looking on to, to build on it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But this feels like a, this feels like a, like a two teams going in two different directions and with two different motivations. But I don't know. This team scored. Florida scored 13 points against Mississippi State. They scored 17 points against Georgia. 17 points against Missouri. 16 points against Kentucky. Like <clears throat> I don't see them piling up points against Michigan in this one. I don't know. I mean, Michigan got <laughs> absolutely steamrolled by by the team that they care most about. I know. I mean, you I, don't think that that's totally flattened to their will to live? I don't know. Maybe I I. It's it's possible. I do think it's pretty funny though that Harbaugh will never get his moment against Urban Meyer. Now <laughs> <laughs> they they announced that um, Harbaugh will not be available tomorrow on early signing day to the press. Really, I saw this on Twitter earlier tonight, and the, and the, and the response was um, one of the college football guys I was follow was just kind of like kind of retweeted and said, "Well, this is weird." I don't know that it means anything, but I don't know. You know, and you've had a couple of guys transfer. They, I mean, they did just land Trevor Keegan as a as a recruit, but Aubrey Solomon's leaving. Um, I don't know. Like, interesting. I don't but, know. I don't know. Maybe it it could just be a hard buy in trick, also. But I guess we'll see. He's sleeping at a <laughs> kicker's house again. <laughs> Uh, also at 11 o'clock Central on ABC, you've got the Belk Bowl at uh, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Uh, you got South Carolina versus Virginia. South Carolina, five-and-a-half point favorite, over and under 54.5. South Carolina's top receiver is sitting this game out. I know that. Um, I, think I think they've got a corner that's sitting out as well, but they're head and shoulders better than Virginia, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. It's funny, South Carolina, two of their last three games were against uh, Akron and then, uh, who was it, Idaho, I believe, because it's just a combination of, a, or no, Chattanooga, a combination of that weird late uh, cupcake that they all play and then the Akron game being a reschedule. So it's South Carolina and then sandwiched in between Clemson, which was a game they were never in. So... Yeah, but I don't know. I still feel like you're probably right that South Carolina probably has more talent. Twelve fifteen Central on CBS Sports Network, a channel that nobody gets, is it going to be a game that nobody cares about? Uh, the Nova Home Loan Arizona Bowl, Arkansas State versus Nevada. Arkansas State, a one-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 58, and that's all I've got to say about that. You know what game I did care about? That was the AutoNation Cure Bowl, and I couldn't watch it on that 
godforsaken channel because I don't get it, um, and it makes me mad. But uh, yeah, this field, I I mean, who knows here? I, you know, Nevada's had some ups and downs. Um, I I know nothing. I know nothing. Yeah, I don't know. I think I don't think Nevada was. They finished second in the Mountain West in their in the West bracket, but I don't think they were in it. I think they they weren't really close to Fresno. They lost a tight game to Boise State, though, uh, and I think they've got a pretty decent defense. So um, I know I think Arkansas State's your Sun Belt champion, but I still think they're a cut below Nevada. So that takes us then to kind of the the crown, the peak of the afternoon slash evening as we get into the college football playoff. Uh, playoffs. That's right. Playoffs. We're, we're talking about playoffs. Uh, starting off, you got Notre Dame and Clemson at, at the Cotton Bowl. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this game is the more I think about this game, the more psyched I get because I think I, I really feel like Notre Dame's got a shot to really give Clemson a game here. Dude, I could not agree more, and I've totally convinced myself Oklahoma can win as well. <laughs> I will, I will not, I that that I will not go that far. Uh, I, I think I just, I mean, so, I mean, what, what jumps out for me in this game, like Notre Dame's defense is, is excellent. Trevor Lawrence hasn't seen anything like this all year. And I just have no, like the, the, the closest, toughest game they had all season was was against Texas A&M. And it was Kelly Bryant that won that game. They put everything in his hands in the last two quarters. He took them across the finish line. Lawrence has not had any run this season um, that has been fraught in any way, shape, or form. And he was injured during the during the the second half of the Syracuse game. This just feels like a spot where that offense starts to struggle, and they don't know what to do, and they don't have the guy. I mean, if Lawrence has all the talent in the world. He's going to be amazing for as long as he stays in college. He hasn't had to live in this situation yet, and it's it's different from like a Tua coming in um, in the second half of the national championship and just being able to lay it all on the line. Like this is this is the first game. This is not the second game of the playoff. To me, that just feels different, and there's a lot of pressure there, and nobody is taking Notre Dame seriously at all. Um, yeah, I'm, it's I'm just, psyched. It's just they are so far. So far, 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 the best team Clemson has played this season. Like Notre Dame can say they've played like Notre Dame played Michigan. Um, they've you know they've been in tough games this season. Clemson hasn't played a team remotely of Notre Dame's caliber this season. So yes, te- Clemson has been just steamrolling their entire schedule. Um, but since that Syracuse game that was really tight, they've flattened every team that they played. None of those teams is remotely in Notre Dame's league. And I, does Clemson have more talent? Yes. But Notre Dame is comfortable playing in a close game with Clemson. And there's a really good chance this game's going to be close. Well, and strength on strength, Notre Dame's O-line versus Clemson D-line. Mm-hmm. Like that, like they, they can neutralize the thing that makes Clemson so good on the defensive side. And that's just, it's a fascinating matchup. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great game. I can't wait. I also can't wait for the, uh, for the nightcap, uh, seven o'clock central in Miami. You've got Oklahoma and Alabama in the orange bowl. Um, points 
will be plentiful, I believe. Uh, will Oklahoma score on every single possession? I don't know. They got the offense to do it. Alabama will score in every single possession because Oklahoma does not have a defense to stop them. That's the, that's the thing. Alabama, I mean, Alabama's gonna flatten Oklahoma on the offensive side of the ball. And you're putting so much pressure on Murray. And I know that, I mean, and I know Oklahoma, like, that's the way they've been living all season, but they have not faced a defense like this Alabama defense. And I don't know. But I mean, I, again, when Alabama's had trouble, it's been because of a dynamic quarterback single-handedly keeping his team in the game, and Kyler Murray's that kind of guy. I, I mean, I, Johnny Football, mm-hmm. Chad Kelly, Deshaun Watson. Yep. Yeah. These are the only three players that have, and Cam Newton, you can throw in there as well. These are the guys that have given Alabama fits, and Murray is. All of those guys, he is, they haven't seen a player like this since they, since they lost to Deshaun Watson two years ago. And it's, it, it could very well flop. Um, it could very well flop. And they, and they beat Oklahoma by 60 because like you, like you guys said, they, they can't be stopped, but man, it is like, I'm so excited that 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 we get to see this matchup and we get to see what Murray can do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's there are going to be a ton of points. I just Alabama's offense. First of all, it's it if two is healthy, which I know his ankles up in the air. Yeah, I was but, just about to say, you know, the, the question of, of it's a high ankle sprain that is that usually takes a little bit to to kick. But it's like you're talking about the top two guys in the Heisman, right? And if Alabama's guy is healthy or even close to it. It will be so much easier for him to score points than vice versa. Like Oklahoma basically doesn't play defense and Alabama can get points any way they want to in this game. So yeah, in a situation where it's close, it's going to be the awesomest kind of close game ever. Cause it's going to be an absolute shootout. So here's hoping we get that. So yeah, let, let's go ahead and, and kind of push pause on the previews. We'll come back uh, next week to uh, preview our game and the rest of the uh, the games on you know the thirty first and the first, kind of leading into the playoff game, uh, the championship game uh, the week after. Um, so you know we'll 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 come back and, and finish that up next week. Uh, but for now, and any last thoughts before we uh, call it a night? Just the one thing I want to throw on is just, again, I'm working on this piece right now. I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to have it on the website, hopefully in the next week or so. Um, if not, you know, two weeks, it all depends on the holiday schedule, how everything shakes out. But uh, uh, keep on the lookout for it. We'll let you guys know when it's up. Uh, we think you'll really like it. I'll just throw out something funny that, that popped up there earlier tonight. We were, we were chatting with the the winning cures everything guys as we often do gary and chris and uh chris was lamenting just how how awful the announcing pairs are for some of these games and how much more fun it would be to just you know throw some something truly entertaining into the booth that maybe doesn't even have anything to do with football and then through it through a just a series of rapid fire tweets we came or, or text messages uh, we came up with the idea of frank caliendo doing a one-man three-man booth <laughs> <laughs> uh, which if you're not familiar with who Frank Caliendo is, he, he 
does an, a, just a, a perfect spot on John Madden impersonation. Uh, I, I think John, you came up with the idea of let's have him do Madden, uh, Mel Kuyper and Gruden and, and Gruden in the booth and then have the real Todd McShay on the sideline. And those guys can just F with McShay all game. Todd, 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 Todd. Just how much, and how much more entertaining this would be for, you know, a crappy Thursday night football game in the NFL or even one of these, these bowls where, you know, we're enjoying the product on the field, but the announcers don't know what's going on. Like, Let's let's stop let's stop going through the motions and, and faking things because of convention. Let's just throw something out there that would be fun and entertaining uh, on top of the fun and entertaining game. And let's be honest, Kelly Endo doing Madden covering a like covering a live game would be about as meta as it gets. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, like you know, I was watching a little bit of the the UAB Northern Illinois game, and you know they're getting close to halftime, and the announcer's like, "Well, you know, the the half is almost over." But the half is almost over, and I'll just leave it there. Like, dude, come on! If, if you're gonna if you're gonna make an over under gag, at least be a little more subtle. Like Al Michaels does it perfectly. If you're gonna, you know, do that, do it do it well. Or otherwise, just say, yeah, the game's about to go over the point because you know gambling is more and more prevalent and is becoming more and more legal. So. It was just, I, I think that, that kind of touched off the whole conversation. So uh, I, I absolutely love the idea of, of Caliendo X3. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. So let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. Call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.